For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. Your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap the Titans' first win of the 2021 season. An overtime thriller against the Seattle Seahawks. It was a lot of fun, uh, at least in the second half for the Titans, it was a great game. You know, I think the big takeaway, if you look at the game as a whole, and we'll get into the bits and pieces, certainly, but the big takeaway as a whole is the Titans got back to what they do. Because what they did in the first six quarters of the season was not the Titans. Nothing near what we expected from them coming into the season. Nothing close to their identity. And then in the second half, They got back to that play action. They got back to getting the ball to Derrick Henry and letting him control the game. And defensively, they got pressure. And we'll talk more about that in particular in just a little bit. But the Titans got back to being who I think we all know the Titans under Mike Vrabel to be. And and, and that is very obviously encouraging, and it was needed encouragement after again, how awful those first six quarters of the season were. Yeah, the first six quarters were not good. And uh, hopefully we can just leave them in the rearview mirror because the second half of the Seahawks game and the overtime period were what we want to see from this team and what we should expect of them going forward, both offensively and defensively. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about September Henry not just not looking like himself because this is kind of how slow he starts usually. And the first half of the the Seahawks game, it was the same thing. He wasn't hitting the holes uh, very hard. He wasn't breaking too many tackles, but he just completely turned it on in the second half. Looked like the 2,000-yard rusher that we saw last year. Uh, And he pretty much carried the offense, uh, although Tannehill played very well and Julio Jones was just outstanding. Um, 
but yeah, the the defense's second half performance uh, really really encouraging, uh, especially because we've struggled for so long, so many seasons it seemed like uh, to get any sort of pressure at all, and to be able to to do that and make Russell Wilson very uncomfortable, I, I think is a decent sign going forward. Yeah, like. I'll, I'll try not to get too specific right now because I know we're going to dive into some stuff later, but it was good to see the Titans look like the Titans again. And the score is deceptive, and we'll get more into defense later, but I thought they played much better. I thought they were much more aggressive in the correct ways. And, you know, for Derrick Henry to wake up two weeks early and be King Henry in September is unheard of. It, I mean, he averaged something like 3.4 yards per carry in the 18 games he played in the month of September since being in the NFL. So uh, that that was a welcome sight. Seems like an understatement, but I mean it, it's it's huge, and there's a lot of reasons why it's huge because you don't want to go 0 and 2 to start the season. But more than anything, you just want to see this team look like they can be the same team on offense that they were last year without Arthur Smith. And I, I think I, I think after being sold a false bill of goods in week one and everybody feeling like they kind of got tricked by downing. This was a much needed example of him saying, I I do know how to run this offense with these players. That last week was a mistake on my part. This is what it should have looked like. They went back to what they know and they went back to what works and what works for the Titans is letting Derrick Henry control the game. Now, you have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown for a reason, and both of those guys, both of them should have been heavily involved. Julio had a great game, over 100 yards receiving, should have had a touchdown. Uh, A.J. Brown was heavily involved. He was targeted nine times. He only caught three of them. That was weird. But, um, you know, those guys are sort of not icing on the cake because they're an integral part of this. But this offense runs through Derrick Henry, and, and those guys help Henry and also add an element so that you're not entirely one dimensional. But this, this Titans team runs through Derrick Henry. And I think you nailed it. Will and, and Matthias that September Henry only lasted for one game. And, and who we saw on Sunday was King Henry who ran for 2000 yards in, in 2020. I thought Jared Stillman had a great tweet during the first half, he said, uh, because it took a while for Derek to kind of break out, he said, this is the most impressive, or or he said, that was the most impressive run for zero yards I've ever seen after one of the Henry runs. Like, constantly, he's just shoving guys off and shoving guys off, and finally, he breaks it. And I want to talk about Henry's legacy, about Henry's place within the history of the NFL, because it's really incredible. I'm going to give you a stat that is just mind-blowing in just one second about Derrick Henry. First, though, Matthias, I believe you have something to tell us about our friends at Manscaped. I do. So we have partnered with Manscaped, a very reputable company. A bunch of us know them. Uh, Two million men worldwide actually trust Manscaped. Uh, so definitely a company that you want to be in line with and want to use if, if you need them uh, for whatever male grooming needs uh, that you may need. So they have a new fourth generation trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 4.0. 
It features a a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents. They have this advanced skin-safe technology that just makes it very, very reliable, and you don't have to really worry about anything. It's got a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch. It's got a travel lock, and it's even waterproof. Uh, So it really has everything you would need uh, if you need this sort of, you know, male grooming kit in your life. And I personally would suggest going with the Performance Package 4.0. It comes included with a weed whacker, which is also waterproof. Uh, and that one uses a 9,000 RPM motor, so you're you're getting even better, even better technology there. It's got itself a 360 degree rotary dual blade system, uh, so it really does everything. It, that one's more for your nose and, and ear hair trimmer, uh, and the other one is for you know other parts of your body. Uh, <laughs> but they both help prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in any area of your body. So make sure to go to manscaped.com. Uh, and you could get 20% off with free shipping just by using the code FANSIDED20 in all caps. That's FANSIDED20 in all caps for 20% off plus free shipping on manscaped.com. Here's the Derrick Henry stat. NFL Research had this on Twitter. There are, in the history of the NFL, six players at the top of the list when it comes to guys who have had 150 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns in a game. Emmitt Smith has had nine of those games. Again, 150 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Emmitt Smith's had nine. Eric Dickerson, nine. Barry Sanders, 10. Derrick Henry, 10. Ladanian Tomlinson, 12. Jim Brown, 13. Guys, the other five players that aren't Derrick Henry are all Hall of Famers, and I'm fairly certain all of them were first ballot Hall of Famers. Like These aren't just like, you know, really good running backs that you had to debate that were Hall of Famers. Like These are the greatest running backs to ever play the game of football. Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson, Emmitt Smith, Ladanian Tomlinson. That is insane company. Yeah, I mean, we're in the midst of watching a Hall of Fame career um, just, you know, burgeoning. Like, we already knew... Uh, it was coming on the back of this 2,000-yard season that he had. In the middle of it, we were just like, you know, just in shock by by how well he was playing um, and how he was just dominating every game. Uh, and it seems like he's not he's not showing any signs of slowing down, really. And if anything, he might be getting stronger because in the past couple of seasons, he has started even slower than this, and it's taken him more than a month, really, to really get going. And this time, six quarters later, he's already looking like prime King Henry uh, that we saw at the end of last season, the end of 2019, and the end of 2018. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for uh, for him just because he is he's unique. There is literally no one like him. No one possesses his combination of size, strength, speed, breakaway speed stiff arm ability it just he makes no sense and we really are privileged to see him uh i I tweeted during the game after one of his long touch touchdown runs i I really do get emotional watching him play like when he breaks off some of these long runs i get goosebumps because he's not supposed to be able to do this it doesn't make sense it kind of defies human logic 
Uh, and not since really Chris Johnson uh, ha- have I felt this way about a football player where I just can't wait to see them play uh, and I can't wait to see them break off a big run. And it's it's just awesome. Yeah. Can you go through that list of people uh, with, with that yardage number again? Yes. Luke? Jim Brown, LaDainian Tomlinson, Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson, Emmett Smith. Okay, so only two of those players have 2,000 yards, Eric Dickerson and Barry Sanders. I I was just curious of the overlap there because I I wasn't sure what that was. Because those stats sort of combine long-term playmaking ability and and the 2,000 yards kind of indicates the peak in their career. Although, you know, who knows with Derrick Henry because – yeah, because of what he did on Sunday. So I, w- we don't know where his peak really is. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's fantastic. And I, I saw you tweeted this, and I was looking up the exact tweet, and you said good things happen when Derrick Henry cuts back, which is true, and we've always said that. Like, Derrick Henry's whole thing is whenever he remembers that there are going to be sometimes – sometimes there's going to be cutback lanes that he can hit – once he remembers that and he doesn't just focus on jumping over guys who make a pile right at the line of scrimmage, then you get that first run that he had after halftime where he breaks a 10-yard run. And as soon as you break one of those 10-yard runs, the defense has to stop overcorrecting. Like they, they can't just preemptively go to the gap you step towards first. So, you know, and there's a lot of things that the Titans did to kind of keep the de- the Seattle defense on their toes. They pulled more linemen this time than I remember them in the past. I, I know Nate Davis specifically, I think it was on a pitch play, uh, g- got out in front. I mean, like they, they did a lot of different things and it's, it's cool and they're creative, but more than anything, it's just when Derek Henry kind of goes super Saiyan for lack of a better term, like it, it's almost impossible to stop him. And once he hits one of them, it just feels like he's going to hit, four or five more. I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch and something that we have said a hundred times on this podcast is that Derrick Henry hadn't been able to catch the football for his whole career. And then now all of a sudden he like, he didn't necessarily look comfortable in space, but he wasn't popping the ball straight up in the air and he wasn't dropping easy passes. So, I mean, heaven help the defenses in the NFL if he's learned how to catch. Yeah, I will say, I think that's going to wind up being a bit of an anomaly, his passing game involvement in this game. I I think that was more dictated by what the defense was doing. But with with Derrick Henry, I think we've become numb to him almost. Like, he rips off a 60-yard touchdown, and we're just kind of like, all right, you know, that's normal. You know, that's what he does. And we look at the stat line, we're like, okay, 35 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns. Pretty good. Pretty good day. Like, (laughs) When people who cover or are fans of other teams see that stat line, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's insane. We're like, oh, you know, normal day at the office for Derrick Henry. Which speaks to how good he is. Like, I, this guy, man, it, he's something else. Yeah, and it's really not normal. Like, there are not other running backs that are doing this. Like, sure, you have Chris McCaffrey, uh, but he's more of, you know, receiving back. Sure, he can do it on the ground. Uh, but he's not carrying the ball 35 times. Christian McCaffrey is taking over games the way that yeah. Derrick Henry and those guys on that list and Adrian Peterson have done throughout their careers. No, I, the thing about Henry that's just amazing is, like we said, if he breaks off one of those runs, 
he just completely demoralizes a defense because they know that they're going to keep giving him the ball and they're not going to be able to stop him. I mean, you saw Quandre Diggs smash his helmet on the sideline after the 60-yard run. Yeah, that was funny. That was... That was the look of defeat. That was, yeah, that was like the Ravens in the playoffs um, two years ago that they, they just they just knew. Yeah, I mean, you could tell that he was mad that he was the guy left on the island because he knew he couldn't tackle him. And his, all he was trying to do was not get stiff-armed and be the next Josh Norman, which is kind of, you that know. close. That, it didn't quite happen. No, because he took because he took measures to make sure. Like he tried to make sure he came at the side and that he wasn't within like direct stiff arm distance. Like he wasn't diving at legs or doing anything like that. But you know, talk about getting numb to it. I, we were lucky enough to watch Chris Johnson play, and for yeah, my but money, this is different though. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And I'm with you. For my money, like Chris Johnson was at the time one of the most electric people that I ever watched because. He he was the Titans' offense for two or three years, and he was the only reason why they would win games. Derrick Henry is different, and he is more than that. I mean, he's obviously better than Chris Johnson. But what I would say is going through Chris Johnson makes you appreciate, okay, there was a five-year gap or whatever between guys who could do this kind of explosive stuff on the ground where it just wasn't there. And now you get, you know, after that dead period, you get Derrick Henry who's doing it and doing it in a much more different and punishing and highlight real worthy kind of way. I mean, it's it's incredible to watch like it it does every time he rips one off and he gets in the open field, it it does kind of take you back and you kind of sit there and say, like, okay, I need to savor this because whether it's a touchdown or not, the fact that it could be and there's still a corner that's got a five yard lead on him is incredible and it may never happen again for somebody that big yeah uh we're also like really lucky because we've had two of these types of players of running backs uh and they just they don't really exist like how many how many running backs at least nowadays break off these big gains on a on a consistent basis i would say saquon every now and then like he has that game breaking ability stonk so far this year I know, but he can he can rip off like a sixty yeah. plus yard touchdown. And the other the only other guy I can think of is Raheem Moster, and he's like always injured, but he has like that type of speed where if he just gets a hole, he's gonna you know break it off. But that's it. Like there's really no one else. Yeah, Chubb, I would say is kind of like that. He's he's obviously yes. not not Henry, but like that guy where you're like, okay, sometimes he looks like he's a punishing like almost fullback and then he gets the second level and he's like fast. Like I, I would say that's the closest thing, but that's like saying a medium sized drink is close to a super sized drink. Like, I, I mean it, there, there's just nothing close to what Derrick Henry is. I want to talk about a couple other elements of the offense. I touched on AJ Brown. I don't need to know that we really need to dig into that. We know who he is and he just was not that on Sunday. Uh, but two other pieces on the Titans offense played exceptionally well, and that's Ryan Tannehill and Julio Jones. I thought Ryan Tannehill, was, as we talked about last week, played fine in week one. He just didn't have much of a chance. I thought the one mistake Tannehill made this week was that strip sack. I thought that was on him. He should have gotten rid of the ball sooner. He had time to either throw it away or do something. But, man, Ryan Tannehill is still on it. He's still the guy that we saw in 2019 and 2020, the assassin. 
And Julio Jones, after a difficult week one, after which he said, that was rough for me, comes out and looks like Julio Jones and dominated the Seattle secondary and should have had a touchdown. Yeah, that uh, that touchdown getting called back was absolute BS. I, I don't know what happened there. But regardless, yes, Tannehill looked great. Um, really not worried about him at all after after week one. Uh, I didn't even think he played that poorly in week one. And, and this week, for sure, uh, definitely showed more chemistry with Julio Jones uh, and, and just looked like the same Tannehill that we've seen for the past couple of seasons. And that's a great sign. Uh, for this team's uh, hopes going forward. And Julio, I mean, man, he, he was absolutely dominating um, to start that game, and it was it was fun to watch. Like you said, he should have had that touchdown. Um, but if they would have kept going to him, like if they would have got him, I don't know, four or five more targets, he could have gotten like 300 yards or something. Like he's done this before where he has these games. He is just completely unguardable and he goes off for like 200 plus yards uh i think he did it against the panthers a couple of times uh, in his prime uh, and i think he did it against the packers also one time he got close to like 300 yards or something like that uh and he was playing the sort of game where it seemed like that was a possibility just because he is so physically dominant uh he still has really good speed uh he's getting contested catch situations He's just a stud, man. And the fact that he's still doing this and can do this at the age of 32 is is pretty awesome. And the fact that he left the, that week one performance completely in the rearview mirror uh, is a really good sign also for the Titans offense. Although A.J. Brown sucking was a little hurt a little bit, but I'm not, not too worried about him. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Brown drops passes like sometimes it's just we, we know that about him. We yeah, he has games because. Like yeah, like th- this. This is. I'm much more confident that he'll bounce back than I was that Julio would bounce back. But I mean, Tannehill, forty passes and 347 yards, like passing yards. I mean, he- he's done stuff similar to that before. Uh, in when they played Oakland back when they were Oakland, he threw it 27 times for 391 yards, and that was insane. He had 15 yards per attempt that game. So that that's just not repeatable. But other than that, this is only the second time in his career he's had numbers like that with let 40 or fewer uh, pass attempts. He had 350 yards against New England back in 2016 uh, on 38 attempts. But I mean, really, like what 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 doesn't get included in this? It, and we kind of talked about it on AJ is how many drops he's had over the first two weeks, like. Julio dropped, I think, four passes. Um, and then I think A.J. Brown might have dropped a pass in that game, too, or somebody else might have. And then uh, in this game, A.J. dropped three or four passes, and then they counted the Julio Jones touchdown as incomplete. And, like, uh, th- there there are several very small, like, if the receiver catches the ball or if the ref calls the play correctly, where his numbers just look astronomical. Like, it, it would not have been insane if he had 400 yards in that game, if everybody would have caught their passes, you know. So, I mean, even if you think his stats are good, and even if you think his tape is good, he's doing even better because every time they drop a pass, 
he does his job, but the down goes away and he has to go from second 10 or it has to be third nine or, you know, what, whatever it was going to be doesn't reset and he has to deal with that setback. So, I mean, once the receivers start catching the ball as well as they can, I, I mean, like we just talked about Derek Henry, I mean, this is going to be a dangerous team. And, you know, a week ago, we didn't, we weren't sure that that was going to happen. I mean, it looked like words on a page, but now it finally looks like it's starting to come together. And even if you have a day where your superstar young receiver doesn't make all the plays he needs to, you're talented enough to cross the board to be fine and still put up 33 points and win on the road. Let's swap sides of the ball now. And let's talk about this defense, because as we led into the show and we were chatting beforehand, I think there might have been some disagreement among us about diagnosing what was wrong with this defense. Because on the one hand, that's the most penetration I've seen them get maybe ever under Vrabel. Uh, They were collapsing the pocket very frequently with Russell Wilson. And and he was kind of running for his life a lot. It's a, I credit more than anyone else to, I think, Danico Autry, who was exceptional, but also Harold Landry and Bud Dupree played very well. Uh, but everywhere else, at times, struggled, notably safety. Bradley McDougal, that dude was awful, and he got cut on Tuesday as a result. So I don't know that that was a Shane Bowen thing. You guys seem to think perhaps it was, right? I don't. I think I think me more so. Yeah, me okay. more so than Will. I no. Look, I, I clearly Bradley McDougal was at fault for at least one of the blown blown coverages because he wouldn't have gotten cut if that wasn't the case. So I, I think that transaction kind of lets us know that that wasn't necessarily you know a scheme thing. That was just he made the wrong plays. But this just like this keeps happening. And and I don't know if I, – I just can't say because Amani Hooker wasn't out there, but I can't say for sure that if Amani Hooker was out there, this doesn't happen. And I don't know. But I, I, don't, I don't think I don't, it does if Amani Hooker's out there. I mean, that's fair. I mean, Elijah Moulton's still getting cooked, things. but that touchdown that Russell Wilson threw to uh, – what was his name? Like third string, fourth Swain. string. Swain. Yeah, that's not happening if Hooker's out there. Yeah, uh, I, I guess that's fair, although I, I don't know who to directly attribute the blame to because it looked like on a couple of them, uh, maybe Chris Jackson might have been a fault also. So I don't know, but also like I feel like we're playing too much Chris Jackson and maybe a little too much Elijah Molden or at least putting too much on Elijah Molden's plate because he really shouldn't be going one-on-one with Tyler Lockett. Um, And and I know we don't necessarily have a better quote-unquote slot cornerback, but there are are ways to to neutralize uh, a a, a slot receiver. And I just don't think that Shane Bowen is all that smart. And I don't know if that's a hot take, but I just think this group of players on defense – is more talented than than they're showing. Like I think I think they're very talented on, on defense. I know Luke kind of, kind of disagrees with me on this, but I think a better defensive coordinator could get a lot more out of them. 
yeah that yeah so i i have i have mixed feelings about this because that uh, when i say shane bowen is bad what immediately comes to mind is three man rushes and 10 yard soft coverage and at the very least he didn't do that so i don't know if i'm like stockholm syndrome or whatever or like you know my bar is set so low but I will say that they were four of 12 on allowing third down conversions. And one of those was the play where the, the running back did not make the first down yard mark. They hurried up to the line of scrimmage and snapped it before Vrabel could get confirmation to throw the flag. So, I mean, in all honesty, it should have been three of 12 or, or whatever it was. So I don't know. It's hard for me to put too much blame on it because Russell Wilson clearly looked uncomfortable, and when there wasn't massive busts by the safety on the back end, there weren't really a lot of plays to be had. Like Christian Fulton put DK Metcalf in an absolute blender. Uh, David Long was flying all over the place. Jeffrey Simmons was putting guys in Russell Wilson's laps, and those are the players, not the scheme, but there wasn't a lot of let's drop Harold Landry back into the coverage or, or like, let's put him in the flat or let's use him as a slot corner. Like I, I don't remember seeing that as much as you know, I, we have in the past. So it was it wasn't third down and he was taking his best players out of position to make plays, which if not, it, that doesn't mean he's a great coordinator, but at least it's a step away from what they were last year. And so maybe I'm, I'm just happy they're taking baby steps, but you know, there were two 60-yard touchdown passes, and one of them was because McDougal didn't know where he was supposed to be, and then instead of running up and tackling Tyler Lockett, he decided a better use of his time would be to tackle Elijah Molden, which I would say is questionable. And then there was another back-end uh, slip where I don't know if they miscommunicated what coverage it was or whether – because I, I think Kevin Byer jumps – I think they have a two-eye two safety look. And now I'm not looking at anything, so I'm just trying to remember. I think they have a two-eye safety look, and Kevin Byer comes down. And whoever the other safety is, whether it's Kirkshank or McDougal, I don't remember, uh, cuts more to the middle of the field instead of staying on that outside. And – it ends up with just a wide open throwing lane and both, both passes. If I remember correctly, were under duress from Russell Wilson. So there was pressure. He just is Russell Wilson. I mean, like he's a veteran who's been to the, you know, he's been to the Super Bowl. He's got ring. He's got a ring. Like, I mean, it, he's, he's a good quarterback in a scheme that he's basically drawing the plays for. So, I, I mean, if you take out like again, it's you can't really do this. It's not fair. But if you take out those two sixty-yard massive busts, which I put on the safety and the ball that they had inside the five-yard line, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a much different ball game that's much more competitive, and they really have to earn a lot more than they had to during that game. But you know, having said that, it would be nice if I didn't have to like halfway defend Shane Bowen when he allowed 30 points because it's the second week in a row I've had to do this. Cause I didn't think he did a terrible job versus the Cardinals, but uh, I mean, I would really like, and, and again, part of that's on Tannehill for fumbling. Like, I mean, that, that is what it is. Part of it's on the offensive line, but it would be nice for them, especially this upcoming week to have a game where I, we weren't saying, yeah, but the defense wasn't as bad as it looks. Like I, I would like to have it go the other way for once. 
I don't think the Titans have a Shane Bowen problem. I think Shane Bowen has a Rashawn Evans problem and a Bradley McDougald problem. Yeah, his name is Frable. That's what? that's the Mike. That's the Rashawn I, Evans. I'm not putting that on Frable because he's, if he's if when when whenever they get David Long and Jayon Brown out there together, hasn't happened yet through two games. Those are your guys on most of the plays. Yeah, that's what they showed in the preseason. And I Rashawn mean, Evans that, is only out there for short yarded situations. That's what that's what they did in the first game of the preseason, okay, and it that, was and awesome. That's what I'm saying. Well, neither yeah. they both haven't been healthy yet. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I mean, like, and we can debate whether Monty Rice is better or worse. We don't know, and we're just assuming that Monty Rice would be better than what we're getting out of Rashawn Evans, and that's fair. But yeah, like I, th- that that will be the test. Hmm. But the pressure, that was great. Yeah, the, the, the front played great, and, and I think they're going to be good going forward. Um, Harold Landry looked good. I thought Bud Dupree looked much better than week one, uh, and he did, did a lot of things that I, that I really liked. So I'm looking forward to seeing him you know, get more confidence in his knee and, and probably start getting some more sacks uh, as the season goes on. Danico Autry finally like they just let him play and let him do his thing and he has looked he looked like one of the best defensive players on the entire field um in that game and then Jeffrey Simmons of course is a monster so that front four is really promising uh they could beat you in a lot of different ways and and they're all solid um especially in pass rush situations so yeah, I, f- I feel confident in, in them. If we could get some of these long plays and coverage busts, you know, fixed up, we should be okay. But, I mean, I, I can't stop thinking about that that defensive drive at the end of the first half where Russell Wilson scored in, like, 48 seconds. That one, that one, that one frustrated me, but... Maybe maybe I'm too hard on on Bowen and some of the things that they're doing on defense, and they'll start correcting themselves um, over that the next couple of weeks. We also do have to point out that they've played the Cardinals and the Seahawks, who look like two of the better offenses in the entire NFL. Kyler Murray, like I, I think I, I already gained a lot of respect for him in Week One. I think I gained even more respect for him in Week Two because seeing how much better he is at navigating behind the line of scrimmage than even Russell Wilson. Like, I think Kyler Murray is really on an uptick here, but that's that's beside the point. What I was probably most encouraged by was the the Danico Autry stuff. Because we had the conversation last week about him getting out-snapped by Laurel Murchison, and Terrell Williams is like, yeah, that was by design. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, then why did they sign this guy? So that's why you signed Danico Autry. That was great. Yeah, and Murchison's been good too, by the way. Like, I, I I know we don't talk about defensive linemen like a lot if they're not Jeffrey Simmons, but Tier Tart, Laurel Murchison, Danico Autry, like they they've all. Like, I, I have not seen a massive drop off in defensive tackles like we saw last year for most of the season. When uh, and I've said this before the podcast, but like when Daquan Jones and uh, Jeffrey Simmons would come off and it would be Matt Dickerson and somebody else, and then they would just get absolutely blown up before Tier Tart got elevated. Yeah, we talked a little bit about Murchison in the preseason. He looked like a kind of a different player 
Uh, and the fact that it's translated into the regular season it, it is good for his for his development going forward. And if he could just carve out a role as a, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 percent snap player, that's fine out of a fifth round pick like that. That's what you want. I, I want to talk about a concerning trend for the Titans. And I feel like Will is not going to like this, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The tie, so Rabel, whenever he gets asked about culture, his sort of go-to answer is, we don't want a bunch of front runners. We want to be a team that when the going gets tough and, and when it's not going our way, you know, we're the same team we are when things are going well and we can keep our head up and always fight and never lose heart. And he is right. That is extremely important. And to his credit, they are very, very good at that. It's why they're one and one right now and not 0 and two. But for whatever reason, they don't seem to have the reverse of that, which you would think would be the easier part. Because again, that's what he's highlighting is, you know, a good culture is one where you respond well to adversity. He always that, that's a variable thing. You know, adversity reveals the character of your team. But when they're not going through adversity, when things are going well, like it's a recipe for disaster. Just think about it. So I think this stat tells a lot. The Titans are 8-0 and under Mike Vrabel coming off of a double-digit loss, meaning they play their best football after getting kicked in the mouth. But why are they getting kicked in the mouth in the first place that many times? And then secondarily, I think there's this phenomenon where every time people get really, really excited about the Titans, especially if it's on a national stage, they disappoint. Go back to Green Bay, Sunday Night Football last year. Indianapolis, Thursday Night Football last year. And all the way back to Vrabel's first year, I know that was Blaine Gabbert, but, but still it's another time where a lot was expected of them and they came up well short. Am, am I crazy to think that this is maybe not concerning, but it's definitely weird and maybe a problem? It is weird. It's kind of like they don't want to be an elite team that's and, favored every week. And, you know, on Wednesday, Jeff, Jeffrey Simmons was already talking, this last Wednesday, Jeffrey Simmons already talking about, you know, well, no one believes in us. We got to go in there and prove the doubters wrong. They're, they're addicted to it. They're addicted to being the underdog. And they go through withdrawals when they're favored and people like them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of athletes are like that, that they need to have a chip on their shoulder to perform uh, to the level that, that they should. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's annoying that they, that they have to wait to, you know, get clobbered or, or, or disappoint in a game they should win for them to come back the next week. Uh, and show what they're capable of. Um, but at least they're predictable, right? Like we, we yeah, said last yeah. week, last week on the pod, we were like, this is a game. This Seahawks game is a game that the Titans just under Vrabel, they've hit just one um, because that's just what they've done. They're like, they, they disappoint. Then they come out and they win a game that they probably shouldn't win. Uh, and, and that's just, that's just how it is. But I agree. I would like for them to just go 17 and 0 and not have to worry about these types of, you know, roller coaster seasons. Yeah, and that's that's who Vrabel is, right? I mean, 
he's come from being around uh, Ohio State when they were incredibly successful and they were expected to win every single game, so they had to manufacture motivation. And he played his football in New England. Like, I mean, that's that's a Belichick thing. Is you know, you talk about uh, what is it, a uh, poster board or whatever? Like bulletin board talk, material. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Yeah, like bulletin poster board material. Board. I mean, like. Yeah, like, I mean, if you say that, you know, Tom Brady got sacked three times, you know, in a postgame or in a a press conference throughout the week and you play for the other team, that's all they're going to talk about. I mean, that you're, you know, the players are going to rally around a true fact and motivate themselves into saying, like, I can't believe they said this about us. Like, we got to, you know, that's that's the culture he comes around. I mean, and that's who he is like. He is a, I want to be an underdog. I want, I want my teams to be the toughest and we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and blah, blah, blah. Like that kind of, that that's what he wants this team to be. And the problem with that is when you spend so much of your time saying, Hey, those cameras out there, they're not for us. That's what I told you. Like, which is one of his like famous, like quotes after a win. I, I think it was against the bills. Uh, or no, it was against the Ravens, I think, in the playoffs. That Maybe that's what it was. Um, but e- either way, no, it was the Chiefs. There we go. It was the Chiefs at home. I remember it now. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where, like, he he tells – you can tell that he tells all the players all week long, you know, nobody thinks you're going to win. They think you're going to lose. They think you're going to run over Jeffrey, and they think – you know, they think that Tannehill's going to throw six interceptions. Then he's only good when Derrick Henry plays well. So they're going to stuff you, Derrick. Like, I mean, you can tell he says all that stuff, and then he hopes that they fire themselves up and go. And you know, that's fine. Like, I mean, you can win a lot of games in the NFL like that. But like you said, like when you're not the underdog, when you have home field advantage versus a Ravens team who's worse than you, or you know, when you win the AFC South, like. What what what's the next step? And hopefully he's figured that out in this offseason. But I mean, that's a Vrabel thing. Like it doesn't matter which players have been here. That's that's just who he is. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be writing my column on this week. Is that, and I'm, I look forward to to asking Vrabel and and some players about this phenomenon because I, it's interesting. Not and again, this is not they they won 11 games last year. This is not like some sort of problem that is plaguing them and they can't get over the hump or whatever but it 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 is a bit of an issue and 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 I think you know my plan is, I'm not going to ask it accusatorily it's not a question of why can't you guys handle success it's is is there a difference in the mentality and I think the answer is yes let's look ahead for the Titans they've got the Colts on Sunday at Nissan Stadium uh don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Frank Reich says it is too early to either rule out Carson Wentz or rule in Carson Wentz. Probably going to be Jacob Eason, no, after Carson Wentz sprained his ankles. And no, I didn't misspeak. He, he sprained both of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I assume it's going to be Eason, but uh wouldn't surprise me if Wentz tries to gut it out and then, I mean... I would prefer that, honestly, because a game beat Carson Wentz would lead to a lot of turnovers, I think. Yeah, like, I don't know what 
in the Colts history makes people think that they're they're gonna actually take medical problems seriously. <laughs> like, I mean, T. Y. Hilton, Andrew Luck, they they played uh, Eric Fisher last week after an Achilles tear in like January, which is way too soon. That Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz were both supposed to still be out with the injuries they suffered in training camp, but they got rushed back and have not looked good. Like, I, I mean, the whoever Jim Irsay employs, it's not because of their medical acumen. Like, they, <laughs> they do not care long term about these guys' health, and it's showing up now. I mean, Darius Leonard, I think, came out this week, and Quentin Nelson too, where they said that they think the health problems they have now will never heal. Uh, or, or something to that effect. It's not a direct quote, but they said something like, this is a long-term thing that we're going to suffer through. And that's Darius Leonard. I mean, that's not even Carson Wentz who had that weird freak injury. So, I, I mean, would it shock me if Carson Wentz plays? No. And I, in fact, I think Ian Rappaport's got tweets right now already written up about how they're, the locker room is so impressed by Carson Wentz's bravery that they're all rallied around him and they're so impressed by him. Like, yeah, that's a narrative that's a I can see already. Crap. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a narrative Donkey I can already crap. see written up. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Carson Wentz was but, terrible last week. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And and that's kind of, you know, and we said this, like, he, he didn't get injured until the last play of the game, or the, almost the last play of the game, the last play that mattered. Um, but when he, you know, he played the full game and he wasn't good. I, I believe somebody said that he has a 12 straight, a 12 game streak of three or more sacks in a game because he just can't get rid of the ball. Like, he just, like, insists on being hit or running around until something comes wide open. And if it's not wide open, he can't do it. So, I mean, it would be great if Carson Wentz played against the Titans. Like, I mean, that I mean, there's a chance. I mean, in the NFL, any team can beat any team, but I mean, on paper, Carson Wentz, a battered Carson Wentz that can't move around. Who's, you know, headed for his 13th straight three plus sack game. I mean, that's, that's the dream after you've been dealing with, spry guys like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray like let the guys pin their ear back, ears back and go hunt yeah um, I, I think the best word to describe Carson Wentz is he's reckless not even just with the ball with his body I mean he's throwing it around all the place all over the place diving for instead of sliding it, it you know he Pat McAfee did a great bit on on Wentz the other day. I was listening to him on his show, and he was talking about how like you know, he's got Aaron Donald wrapped around him, and Wentz instead of protecting his body, like there's this great picture if you can find it. He's like, no, nah, I think I'm gonna try to sidearm this downfield and see what I can do. And Pat was like, I'm convinced that that is the play that he sprained both of his ankles on. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. He just plays with reckless abandon. Does not care what happens to himself. Uh, and he doesn't really care what happens to his team, it seems, because he's so willing to either take a sack, fumble the ball, or, or throw an interception. He is he is chaos in, in, in yeah. quarterback form. And, I mean, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. But most of the time, it doesn't. But... Yeah. That's the interesting thing because there are plenty of quarterbacks, good ones and not so good ones, and then like middling ones, 
who over time have had that like gunslinger, I'm going to take a shot down the field, take some chances. But I think that's a good point, Matias, is that he's it's just very chaotic with Carson Wentz. There doesn't seem to be any like, you know, okay, I'm going to take my shot now. Like even Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't think is is Carson Wentz territory with that kind of stuff and he's been plagued by that his whole career. Uh chaos, that that's a a good word for it. And the reason why like the reason why he has gunslinger tendencies but not gunslinger results is because like in week one, he targeted running backs and tight ends at a higher rate than anybody else in the NFL. I think it was 44% of his passes or something. It was so, Phillip Rivers all over again. Yeah, except this guy insists on running around for four seconds before doing it. So you've got a guy back there who's taking all the negative possibilities of being a gunslinger, rolling around, trying to make something happen. But when the ball comes out, it's a four-yard completion. To, to a running back, so it's like, like what are you even doing? Like, I mean, there, there's it's all risk, like barely any reward. I mean, they they don't really have they don't have anyone to throw to. Like Jack Doyle's fine, but he's getting older. Uh, Mo Ali Cox is athletic, but he hasn't really put it all together. Michael Pittman's okay. I think he, I think he's a decent receiver, but then you have like Zach Pascal, who's really slow. Ashton Dolan, like they are talent starved, man. Chris Ballard. But then at the very least, just get the ball out quick. Like, Chris, I mean, like, Chris they Ballard. don't, though. I know. Chris Ballard. Someone pick up on that and make fun of him, please. The, the first, I, the best GM in the NFL. <laughs> they have the most pedestrian roster I think I've ever seen in the NFL. Like, they have a bunch of. Below average to average, maybe above average players. And they have no elite players. Did you see that uh, story? I know Luke liked the tweet, but the the Sports Illustrated's like, these are the guys who are going to be the next like hot coaching names. And they they talked about Eberflus, their defensive coordinator. And (laughs) they said, uh, I think the direct quote was, like even on a talent star of defense, he's managed to rank top ten in points allowed in back to back seasons. And I went back and look, and outside of Quentin Nelson, every first round pick they've had has been spent or traded on or or they've traded it for a defensive player. I, I think nearly every second round pick and a whole bunch of third round picks. I mean, it, it's like eleven picks or something, and they're all premium picks. It's it's insane the number of picks that they've uh, that they've spent on defense and for, for everybody to say how great Chris Ballard is, but then to not acknowledge the fact that 80% of those players are absolute misses. And the only reason why they're even able to field a decent defense is because they have a good defensive coordinator. It is the, the cognitive I mean, dissonance is insane to me. Like not even John Robinson would be that bad, right? <laughs> I'm waiting for Will to <laughs> explode. <laughs> no, John Robinson. I mean, John great. Robinson at least drafts like John Robinson drafts talented football players. Chris Ballard doesn't. He, John Robinson also signs talented football players. Chris Ballard just sits on his hands. You know, we've had. I feel like we've had this conversation on here before, where John Robinson is see need fill need over the offseason, where Chris Ballard, with uh, among the biggest cap spaces in the NFL. 
just sat on his hand. Why didn't Chris Ballard go trade for Julio Jones? You know, that's a great question that no one is asking. Uh, well, because he was it, too busy trading for Carson Wentz. Am I right? <laughs> you had to give up all those that sweet, is a, sweet picks. You know, I was thinking about this the other day when I was watching Pat's show, actually, about the trade and just how dumb that is going to prove to be. Just stupid. I don't understand why you would give up something other than like a menial pick. Like Broncos getting Teddy Bridgewater, whatever, menial pick. I even think the Sam Darnold thing. I, what did they give up for Darnold, the Panthers? It wasn't much. Like a, a five? third, maybe second. No, I think it was a second rounder. Yeah, that's borderline. Oh, okay. So, so none of us have any idea. Why are done. you investing <laughs> something in a quarterback that either a is not a proven winner in the NFL, and I think Ryan Tannehill was again. He had led the Dolphins to the playoffs before, and they were trading for him to be a backup. That is different. Why would anybody trade for a starting quarterback that is either a not a proven winner in the NFL? Or B, very limited upside. Everyone knew Carson Wentz was going to be better this year than he was last year, because how could you not be? It's like the Titans' defense. Right when it's that bad, there's only one way to go. But, like, no one thought he was going to be great. And and I don't even think, they they probably didn't even think he was going to be great. Why not? Why did, they should have gotten Teddy Bridgewater. They would win more, and I'm not a Bridgewater guy at all. I think he's highly overrated. They would win more games with Teddy Bridgewater than they would with Carson Wentz. I firmly believe that. I mean, they could have just traded up for Mac Jones, which yeah. we all kind of made fun of at the time. But like, it, there there was a trade from like where they were. I think the it was the Giants. No, yeah, the Giants traded down with the Bears, so the Bears could come up and draft Trey Lance. They could have drafted Trey Lance. You know, we talk or, about uh, we talk about Justin quarterback Peter. being a fluky position, but then you look at the Chargers who slide right from Philip Rivers to Justin Herbert, and I don't know that Jordan Love is going to be any good, but the Packers are going to slide right from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. There's at least a plan. A lot of teams either a refuse to go get the guy. Denver has never gotten went out to get the guy. They got Peyton Manning. And then have used a bunch of like, you know, Brock Osweiler was a second round draft pick. Paxton Lynch was a back of the first round draft pick. He was an upside guy. Uh, Bridgewater, obviously a trade. Uh, 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 Drew Locke was a second round draft pick. The Broncos have not said, screw it, we're trading in the top 10, we're going to get our guy. And sometimes that doesn't work. But you know what, you tried and then you try again. Like, I know that finding the quarterback and, and, and evaluating the quarterback is a crapshoot, but getting one is not because the teams that get them are the teams that try. Well, you can't say that the Colts didn't try because they gave you try in the draft. You don't try with a guy who was the worst quarterback in the league last year and pray to some deity that he's going to reverse course. I mean, well. The, the, they they fell into the Frank Reich already coached him and he almost had and, an MVP season. And that's what I'm saying is a stupid, stupid mindset. I know. I mean, wait until they trade for Nick Foles in a week or two. God. Like that. I mean, well, that's all. Oh, uh, I mean, like for sure. Like Dalton. so, maybe Dalton. Maybe you want you want to know why why they you know mismanage their resources like this? So I looked up that tweet. Um, it's because Ballard doesn't know what he's doing. Like he just has really good friends in the media. So since Ballard took the Colts over, they've had four first-round picks, 
Uh, they've spent three of them on defense. Uh, they've spent seven second round picks on defense and every single third round pick they've had on defense. Who are the good players that that Chris Ballard has drafted? Darius Leonard and Braden Smith is what I've got. Jonathan Taylor and, and Nelson. Okay, that's four. Yeah, and that's it. That's that's He's all of them. Blackman and Willis aren't aren't bad. No, but we're not talking about not bad. We're talking about like above average, like good starters. <laughs> Hits like, and also like. I don't know. I haven't watched enough of them to say like that they're above average. I just kind of see them sometimes, and people on Twitter talk about how good Chris Ballard is because they got you know Kyrie Willis or whatever. Wait, he drafted Braden Smith, right? I said He's Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Smith, Nelson, um, Darius Leonard. Although Leonard, honestly, I don't think he's very good. But anyway, I'll count him as yes. one of those. And I really like Jonathan Taylor, but he's a little bit inconsistent, so I don't know if I would put him in there yet. And also, shouldn't any running back be good behind that offense? Oh, I mean that offensive line. Like, I mean, if you hit on a right tackle and yeah. and and Nelson, which I think is a left guard. Like, I mean, and you had Ryan Kelly when you came in, and you had Costanza when you came in. Like, your your running back should be good by default if he has two legs and can run straight. And even then, like, I mean, t- Taylor has not been great this year now that they don't have Costanzo and, you know, they're dealing with a banged up Ryan Kelly and uh, Quentin Nelson. I don't know. Like, I mean, we also get to see Derrick Henry every week. So if a running back doesn't hit for 120 each week, we're like, eh, that guy kind of sucks. After this bashing of the Colts, it's really going to hurt when they beat us on Sunday. <laughs> no, yeah, well, so vibes. Uh, there is. There are games where a team goes into them and you're like, man, this is going to be tough. Like Seattle. I don't think any of us would have been necessarily shocked or even, you know, been like, man, Titans lost an opportunity if they lost to the Seahawks. Like Seahawks are a good team, right? I think the Cardinals, it was just the way they lost. You know, if it was more competitive, Cardinals are a talented team. Yeah. You got to win this game, man. For, for a few reasons. First of all, they're just not that good. And like we've been sitting here for the last 10 minutes bashing them. But also, you've got a chance to all but eliminate the Colts from division contention in week three. Because if you beat the Colts, they move to 0-3. Now, I know we have added more teams to the playoffs in the NFL. And I know that the NFL has uh, added a gain to the season. But we know historically right now that only 9% of teams that start 0-2 have made the NFL postseason. 0-3, I don't know the number, but it's got to be even worse than that. It's got to be like 2-3%. So you've got a chance to end their season, essentially, in week three and take a two-game lead over the only team that is going to remotely challenge you for the division. Because I know Houston is one and one too, but they got Davis Mills at their quarterback. That's going to even out, right? They beat the Jags, who are a disaster, so that will even out. It is hugely important for the Titans to win this game. Oh yeah, and by the way, after this, they've got two other teams that suck because coming up is—I can't remember the order—but it's Jacksonville and New York and New York Jets in some order. Have the has Mike Vrabel ever beaten the Colts at home? Yeah. When? Uh, we beat them last year. 
It wasn't no, last year, and it last wasn't, year was a it disaster. Wasn't the year before, because it was that really hot year. It wasn't. It so wasn't. So twenty eighteen was lock in week seventeen. That was a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty nineteen, Jacoby Brissett beat them. Yeah, mm-hmm. week two. Twenty twenty, they lost. No. <laughs> Thursday night. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So not, I mean, last year was the year where, you know, you had the team, you should have taken care of business and you got borderline embarrassed at home. How do I remember this game? The Thursday night game from 2020. That was the FedEx driver punter. That was was looking like JJ Watt. I mean, that was looking like he did last week. Um, Yeah. Like, I mean, so, I mean, Mike Vrabel, as, as somebody who tries to find every single edge and reason why you're underdogs, I mean, he should be screaming that at every player who's been, I mean, he should be telling AJ Brown that it's like, you know, you, you think you're this, that and the other, but you haven't beaten them at home. You know, all, I mean, he, he's got ammo. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they've never beaten them at home. Yeah, man. I, I don't want to say it this early, but I think Luke might be right. Like, if we beat the Colts, I think the division is like locked up already. In week, I like, I know that, and I'm not hot take guy. Y'all know that. Uh, why are y'all doing this to me? I just, <laughs> I just don't see a way that the Colts dig out of that hole. Well, I, and and the Titans I play the Colts that. again in like week eight, don't they? So it's like the, yeah, they'll it's match early. up with them twice in the front. So I mean, like if you sweep them early. And they've already started out zero and two, and you end up, you know, contributing to two of their first, you know, eight games, I guess. So that's like, let's say they win two more games since then, and they're two and four or two or sorry, two and six is what it would be. I mean, like they're two and six at week eight. Like you, you can go ahead and start packing that up. They have a they have a brutal schedule, also. So yeah. So I mean, yeah. we'll see. Like the, it's a the big Titans. Game. Have, I mean, the Titans have a first place schedule. The Titans have a challenging schedule, but these next three weeks, like they they need to be four and one at the end of these three yeah. weeks. Yeah, you can give yourself a really nice cushion going into some some difficult games and, in the Bills and Chiefs. And Will, I think you're right. This feels like a trap, <laughs> right? Sitting here having oh, yeah. this conversation. I mean, remember the Bengals game last week or last year? But I mean, that, but again, like, that was an, that was inexcusable. That like that that's yeah. not something that. Yeah. Like they, but I mean, eleven I, we ripped teams, them for like, that. They, yeah, they should I mean, be four and one at the end of these three games. Yes, and nobody will be more angry than me. I promise. If they're not, I, I will be the most angry and, of the three of us. And, but and I'm the, just the, saying, like I've been hurt one, by this team enough. <laughs> the, and the hardest one is going to be this week. You know, we've sat and trashed the Colts, but the Jets, man, Zach Wilson is is not it right now. He may be eventually, but four interceptions on Sunday, bad, bad, bad. Another turnover king is Trevor Lawrence, who has already thrown five through two games. Uh, they're a wreck. So this is the toughest of those three, and it might be against Jacob Eason. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's wild. Like, the, you know, from where they were at the end of week one to where they could be at the end of week three is miles away. Like, I mean, the Titans are the only team that's won a game outside of the AFC South. So. I don't know. Like it, it it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Time for stop the nonsense, guys. And uh, since you guys had a message the other night, uh, it, I have rarely been this pumped up for stop the nonsense. We've got a lot of options. Uh, who would like to start? I think I started last week. I'll start because uh, I think mine is is pretty topical. So. Uh, 
I, I don't know if everybody's watching the broadcast, and if you were and you were watching it full volume, I apologize. Like Lofton and whoever the other guy is are borderline unbearable. But they did say one thing that was interesting, and that's when they cut to DK Metcalf and his hair, and they were like, do you know why he said his hair's blue? And they said, uh, quote, in an interview, he said, quote, there are going to be ups and downs this season. I just want to stay cool-headed, and that's why he has his blue hair. Wow. And then he proceeded to <laughs> hold uh, hold Christian Fulton two times, get him in a chokehold and swing on him on the <laughs> sidelines, but they were at home so it didn't get called, and just completely give up by maybe the first quarter of the game and, and just be put in an absolute blender by uh, Fulton throughout the game. And we didn't talk about Christian Fulton a lot. He was outstanding. And so I'm, I'm glad we can kind of bring him up. And somebody who was at the game, a Titans fan, messaged me and said, uh, I'll try to find who, what, their name because they need to get a shout-out. Well, while you're but, getting there, Metcalf, like, whined and moaned from, like, the opening kickoff until the end of that mm-hmm. game. He did not shut up. And it wasn't even yeah. always, like, jawing at the Titans. It was just, like, endless noise coming from him. Yeah, I mean, like... He like he was visibly upset, and you know I talked about how like the real Cortland Finnegan 2.0 is isn't uh, Elijah Molden. It's uh, uh, it's Christian Fulton because he was just in his head. And somebody said uh, their name is at Cool Hand Luke 338, and they said we were at the or we were there, and Metcalf was so frustrated on the sidelines. Fulton Fulton clearly rattled him. So yeah, I mean like. phenomenal start of the season for him, but to go out there and dye your hair blue, tell everybody I do this because I want to be cool and level headed and then just proceed to completely freak out like four times in the first half is hilarious to me. Matias. Yeah. Uh, Quick note. I forgot we didn't, we barely even talked about Chris and Fulton. He's awesome by the way. Yeah. Really good. That's cool. Um, Do we want to talk about, PFF or for, first of all, one of my, I, I guess PFF would be a part of my stop the nonsense. Uh, but I also want to include the Houston Texans on my stop the nonsense because they played the Cleveland Browns um, this past week. Um, they had a third and 15 <laughs> had a third and 15. They picked up 13 yards. Uh, the Browns had been called for offsides. Uh, so they could have chosen to accept the penalty uh, and have a third and 10 and get another shot at getting a first down. Uh, instead, they declined it. Um, they chose to go with a fourth and two. <laughs> and then they punted the ball away <laughs> in one of the most rebellious acts of tanking I have ever seen in my life. So. Uh, shout out to them. And then, Luke, were you going to talk about PFF? I'm, I'm actually awful? not. But did you see Kevin Stefanski's face after that? Yes, it's amazing. It's so funny. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. And then I, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about PFF. They suck. Uh, we can't really take anything. <laughs> we can't take anything they say uh, seriously yeah, uh, anymore. Not that we really week. could. Yeah, I mean Christian Christian Fulton got like a fifty uh, uh, defensive grade yeah. or something yeah. because it's they something attributed insane. one of the coverage busts to him, even though they also had him with giving up one catch 
for five yards against DK Metcalf throughout the entire game, uh, which would probably bump his grade up. But anyway, uh, that was just one part of it. And then uh, there was a stat going going around that the Eagles left tackle Jordan Mailata uh, had faced Nick Bosa uh, and, and the Niners D-line on Sunday. He had 33 pass blocking snaps, zero pressure, zero QB hits, zero sacks allowed. Uh, and then someone quote tweeted with a play of Nick Bosa completely bull rushing that left tackle into Jalen Hurts and then sacking Jalen Hurts. So BFF is officially canceled forever. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. It's insane. Like in, in the only time they get that they do those revisions because apparently they revise that grade. The only time they do it is when they get called out, like, and a tweet goes viral, like that. Nobody holds them accountable. They just post stuff. And there's so much content that they hope you ignore it and don't see it or don't go back and check and do it yourself. Like it's, it's borderline offensive. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really bad. I, I, uh, I have the, the word PFF muted on Twitter and their accounts. Just because it's 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 awful it, and it makes people lazy. All right, here's mine. I tweeted about this. I talked about it on on the radio today. This dumb attitude among fans that if you criticize the team and then the team starts playing better by some logical leap, you are a doubter and a hater. Like I had people coming at me, being like. Um, Really coming at us because they, they, it was they weren't just coming at me; they were screenshotting our our podcast and and the title for our episode uh, la- the week before the season was "Why the Titans are Super Bowl Contenders." And our title last week was uh, "Break you know, Breaking Down the Titans Disaster in Week One." And it was like, looks like somebody changed their mind and then and then had it changed again. Like no, that's just kind of how it works. The Titans were were and are Super Bowl contenders. Number one, number two, it was a disaster in Week One. That did not change based on what happened in Week Two. It's like this weird revisionist history thing where what happens this week somehow in the space time continuum affects what happened last week. I'll give you another example. There's this tweet going around today. I sent it to you guys. Does Christian Fulton being really good uh, cancel out Isaiah Wilson? It's like, no, that's not how this works. Isaiah Wilson was really bad. Christian Fulton is really good. Both of those statements are true. They don't have anything to do with each other. So, <laughs> do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, I, this, it, it is mind-boggling to me that... I am labeled, and we are labeled, haters and doubters and overreactors because we looked at what was bad and said, hey, that's really bad. And now we're looking at good, what's good and saying, hey, that was really good. Oh, you you, you sure flip-flop. Like, no, the team flip-flopped. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, like, if you can't take in new information and adjust your opinion to fit to fit the that new factual data that you have you, you what are you doing because i mean like i wrote an article it, you know and this isn't all just to defend our stuff but i mean i wrote an article last week about the 18 games that derrick henry had played in september and how he averaged 3.4 yards during all those now 
is that a perfect predictor that he's going to have that he was going to have a bad week in week two? No, but it was heavily suggested, and based on the 18 other data points we had, we should have assumed that Derrick Henry was not going to do well. But sometimes you get surprised. Like, I mean, you know, it, that's that's what this game is. You know, the fact that you can have an opinion based on facts and you can project something, and then something completely different can happen, doesn't mean that you're a hater or you're too negative or you're too positive. It means that the team did something unexpected. And you have to adjust and adapt. Exactly. To that. Like, do y'all want us to? And I'm not saying because I don't think this is. This might be like a, a microcosm or of our audience. But like, are we supposed to when the Titans get thumped like they did in Week One? Come in here and just be like, "Hey, man, that wasn't very good, but tighten up for the boys. Let's go!" <laughs> like, what? Like, no, that's not how. Yeah. Now we're also, and there's a difference. It's not like we're coming in here. We came in here last week and be like, "The season is over. They stink." This is terrible. They're a disaster. Mike Vrabel needs to be fired. Like we came in here and we were like, hey, that was uncharacteristic. It was really, really bad. And so now this week we're coming in here and saying, hey, they got better. We're giving them credit. We're not like admitting we were wrong because we were we were right. Yeah. And uh, I noticed on that that tweet you had um that someone, I can't remember who it was, but like uh, put a screenshot of like our most recent episodes yeah, that's what I was because about. the titles were like um, differing because I think uh, before the season started, we what one of our titles was why the Titans are super yeah, the Super first Bowl one was, contenders, was why they're contenders, and then last week's was breaking down the disaster week one. Yeah, it, that's exactly what happened, and we still like kind of think they could be Super Bowl contenders. It's not like. It's not like we have completely changed our mindset on the team. Like, we didn't say anything last week. I don't think so, at least. Um, that really was all that much different fr- from from the preseason. And we just reacted to what had happened. And it was an absolute disaster in week one. Like, we are not exaggerating. It was really bad. So we're not going to come in here um, and try to sugarcoat anything. We're just going to react to what has happened. And, and I think we do a pretty objective job about it, but like Will said, like there's new information that comes out every week in the NFL, um, in life also. But, um, I, this kind of reminds me also of, do you guys remember when Derrick Henry was really bad to start the 2018 season? Oh, this is a great um, example, Matthias. And yeah. And then something just clicked like got that better. And he stood he just got better, but it doesn't change the fact that the first couple of weeks of that season and even the season before that, uh, where he was like getting outplayed by DeMarco Murray, he was bad, man. He couldn't hit holes. Uh, he was falling. He couldn't break any tackles, but then everything changed and we reacted to it. And this is what happens in the NFL. I mean, Every yeah, week go, is different. Go back and listen to the Titan Size podcast in 2018 and you'll hear the three of us saying, they need to get that guy out of there about Derrick yeah. Henry. I mean, so he, uh, the the slogan or like some like somewhere written in stone, we should have something that says we thought Derrick Henry was bad in 2017 and we thought he was a Hall of Famer in 2020 and we were right both times. But because I mean, like I, he I was still stand bad, by and he is yeah. exceptional now. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's I mean, I think anybody that disagrees with that 
is somebody who is trying to view him as a Heisman winner and the things he could become and not what he was doing. And I think anybody who can't see the difference in the player he was then and the player he is now is blind or doesn't know what they're seeing. But yeah, like that, you know, that's, that's what it is. Like, I mean, you, you've got to understand that these are human beings and they're, you know, everything is not computer input or else gambling wouldn't be fun. Like, I mean, this is the sport. Like you should have people, you know, you should crave podcasts and people talking about how they were wrong about the Titans when they were too harsh on them, or they were right that they were optimistic about them. Like you should want that kind of response when things happen, because I can tell you, I listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, I, I try to hear what everybody says in sports. And there's some people who are dead set that, you know, anybody could do what Ryan Tannehill does and that Derrick Henry is the entire engine in this offense and everybody else is just bit players. And that's not the case. I, I mean, it like it, at the very least, we will always watch the games and admit when we're right or wrong. You know, if we guess the wrong thing ahead of time, we'll just tell you we were wrong or right. Like I was right about how awesome Harold Landry and Corey Davis are. You know, it took it took a little while, but I was still right. Like, I mean, I think we'd all admit that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that speaks for all of us. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for us. We will be back next week to recap Titans versus Colts. What, what's week four? Is that Jacksonville or New York? New York. Okay. Jets, and then, yeah. So we will then preview the Jets. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.